Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Wednesday, happy hump day, uh, happy midway through the week. And look, we are a little more than 24 hours away from Ball State football pulling one of the great upsets of the 2022 season. We're going to knock off Tennessee tomorrow night uh, in these really the real opener of the college football season. That stuff that happened on Saturday, Nebraska Northwestern, that was just an appetizer uh, for what we're about to see in a little more than 24 hours when my Ball State Cardinals go into Knoxville, Tennessee and knock off uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. It's going to be a sweet, sweet moment. Uh, you know what's weird about that? And I'm just rambling on. we got a great show planned for you, but I'm just rambling on. You know, I've got all these plans to go, uh, and, and I'm sure I'm going to go, but, uh, you know, this lemon of a car that I bought, this, I got, Royce, I don't know, Royce White is back with us today here in Studio Royce. Thank you for uh, rejoining me. You did a fantastic job yesterday. I got this lemon of an AMG Mercedes Ooh. that decides when it wants to start and when it doesn't want to start. Mm. And so for the second time, I've had to have it towed into the dealership uh, to have it fit. And so it's throwing a monkey wrench into my plan. I don't know if I'm going to have a car tomorrow. And then I don't know if I'm going to trust myself to drive my car over there because I don't know if it'll start when I return to it after the game. Mm. Uh, so that's the only monkey wrench into my uh, Ball State, Tennessee uh, plans for Thursday night. But other than that, it's a great week. Royce has been here. We had a fantastic show uh, yesterday. We're going to have an even better show today. T.J. Moe's going to join us. Shamika Michelle will be back. It's Wednesday. We'll have some Tennessee Harmony with Pastor Anthony Walker. Royce will be here for that. We're going to talk about uh, my guy. I'm a big fan of Steve Harvey. Uh, he's doing some uh, prosperity preaching over social media, and we'll talk about that with Anthony Walker uh, in, t in Tennessee Harmony. But we're going to start. Uh, I'm going to connect yesterday's topic about Rachel Richardson and, and the Duke volleyball situation and my blast, because that story is blowing up. Uh, that narrative is getting blown up by student journalists, and we'll hear from some student journalists at Brigham Young University a little later in the show. Uh, blowing up that narrative that's been put out by Rachel Richardson. But I want to connect it to John Gruden, the former Raiders coach, former Monday Night Football broadcaster, uh, Super Bowl champion coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I want to connect it to John Gruden. He spoke yesterday at an Arkansas touchdown club, Arkansas Razorback football touchdown club deal, and he spoke for the first time uh, yesterday publicly about the events that led to him getting dismissed as the Raiders coach despite having a 10-year, $100 million contract. Uh, if you guys remember, we've talked about it extensively on this show. Uh, John Gruden and the emails where he talked about DeMora Smith's uh, big rubbery lips, which DeMora Smith has. Uh, that was all spun out at all. Oh, boy, that was horribly racist. This is in a private email years ago when he was a Monday Night Football broadcaster. He lost his job over private emails and things like that. He talked yesterday, and it was captured on tape. We uh, found the tape, but ESPN uh, wrote a story about uh, his, his conversation yesterday at the Arkansas Razorback Club. So I want to read a little bit from this ESPN story 
uh, before we show you exactly what John Gruden said. Former Las Vegas Raiders coach John Gruden for the first time publicly addressed the email controversy that cost him his job last October. Gruden, who filed a lawsuit against the NFL last year, alleging the league singled him out, spoke on Tuesday at the Little Rock Touchdown Club in Arkansas saying he was going to be honest with the gathering, blah, blah, blah. Then they go on to describe Gruden's emails, which contain racist, anti-gay, and misogynistic language, first came to light in a Wall Street Journal article in October, on October the 8th. And so they don't provide the proof of what he said, the racist, anti-gay, and misogynistic. I'll give you what their proof, what they're hanging their hat on. It's not in this article, uh, but it's basically, he's racist because in a private email to a friend of his, Bruce Allen, he said, DeMora Smith has rubber lips. Now I'm just telling you, if you go through my private emails, you go through my text messages, if someone's listening to my phone conversations, rubber lips might be the most innocent thing that I say on any <laughs> given day, on any given day. So that's one. The anti-gay sentiment. In a private email, he used the F word. F-A-G-G-O-T, he used that word. If you went into my past, I can't say it's in the last decade, I, I don't know when's the last time I've used that word. But if you went into my past, oh, that word is littered all over my past, from kids all the way through adulthood to moments of frustration, pissed off at someone or, or whatever. That's littered all, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I've never been a perfect person. Now, again, in these modern times, have I moved away from that word? Absolutely. But in my past, just like John Gruden's past, that word, and most of you, most of you, and many of the people that want to portray John Gruden as one of the worst people in the human, in the, on the planet, that word is part of your past as well, most of you because we used to use it kind of commonplace and it was no big deal. But that's their justification for he's anti-gay. Misogynistic, I believe it, to the best of my ability, what they're saying, he's, why he's misogynistic, he's anti-woman or whatever, is because he said that Roger Goodell was an anti-football, P-U-S-S-Y. <laughs> Now, and I'm just going to tell you this week, this week, probably within the last 48 hours, I've used that word in text, uh, perhaps in conversation. I'm just speculating. I don't know exactly when, but I've used that. I have not eliminated that word from my vocabulary. And most of the men that I know have not eliminated that word from their vocabulary. And we tend to use it. If we think somebody's soft, if we think somebody's not masculine, we call them that word. Most of my friends, my friends are good people. I'm a good person. I'm flawed, but I'm a good person. And so that's the, the allegations and the charges. He said, Demora Smith has big rubbery lips. We know that's a factual statement. That's if Royce, I'll just say this. If you get caught somewhere in email saying uh, Jason Whitlock has man boobs, 
you shouldn't lose your job over that. It's just a fact. Thank you. I do. You. you can say if you're caught somewhere saying I'm fat, it's a fact. You can say that. Uh, and so, Demora Smith, I'm sorry. And again, I, I've talked about this extensively on this show. Big lips are in style. Everybody wants them. White women pay good money to get them injected into their into their mouths. I've never had a woman complain about my big lips. Never. I don't know anybody. And again, the, anybody complaining about having big lips, I may call them the P-U-S-S-Y word in private, in conversation with my friends. I'm not proud of it. I'm not saying this belligerently. I'm just telling you who I am and what I'm capable of. And if that means, oh, that person can't have a job, no one in the NFL, no coach in the NFL, maybe Tony Dungy may be the only one that would still be qualified to coach in the NFL. The rest of them are just like John Gruden, whether they're black, white, or whatever. They fired John Gruden for being a man. That's what he got fired for. And ESPN and everybody else running around acting like, oh my God, this is one of the worst humans on the planet. Get the heck out of here. It's a scam. But anyway, John Gruden spoke first, uh, first time publicly. We want to play a couple of these clips. Uh, obviously, I'm on team John Gruden. I got to say this first clip we're going to play, I, I really don't like it because he's, he's not being defiant enough. He's copying uh, to the crime that he did something wrong in his emails. I disagree with that. But here's what John Gruden had to say. Uh, owning his mistake. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, and I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just, it's, it's shameful. But uh, I am a good person. I believe that. I, I'm, I, I go to church. I've been married for 31 years. I got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes, but I don't think anybody else in here hasn't. Uh, and I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully I get another shot. Did you hear the qualifications he laid out for why he's a good person? They're qualifications I believe in. I go to church, I've been married for 31 years, and I've raised three sons who are good people and love me. I'm just, th that trumps to me. I go to church, I've been married for 31 years, which is one of God's greatest covenants and directions. And I've raised these three boys who are good kids and me and my wife are still together and our kids have done well. This man has committed to a church, committed to a, a woman and committed to a family. And I'm supposed to hate this guy because in a private email, he said DeMora Smith had big lips and used the F word and called Roger Goodell P-U-S-S-Y. I'm supposed to hate him when I got these three qualifications. You know how hard it is to pull off a, a successful marriage for 31 years with three kids while coaching football? It's almost impossible It's in today's world. Yeah. And so this is, but again, we, we, the demand for racism far, out, uh, far exceeds the uh, supply of racism. So we frame John Gruden as a racist because DeMora Smith has big lips and he's insecure about his big lips. Uh, 
and that's because Demora Smith's a, virtually a midget and has no business running uh, the NFL Players Association. Uh, John Gruden then went on uh, <laughs> to really uh, hit a home run with me. Uh, he trashes ESPN, his former employee. Take a listen. Employer. There's a lot of misunderstanding out there right now. What you read, what you hear, what you watch on TV. Hell, I worked at ESPN for nine years. I worked hard at that job. I don't even want to watch the channel anymore uh, because I don't believe everything is true. Uh, and I know a lot of it is, is just trying to get people to watch. But I think we got to get back to reality, and that's why I look forward to Saturdays, because you're going to get what you deserve when the whistle blows, and we'll see if the Razorbacks can get after Cincinnati, which I hope they do. Yeah, as a matter of fact. Love it. That, that took some courage. He's in the crosshairs of the mainstream media. He goes directly at ESPN, calls them fake news trashes them. He knows that that's going to provoke ESPN to go to war with him. But but he's sitting there saying like, hey, man, I was a great employee for you guys for nearly a decade. And y'all just let me get sabotaged and destroyed my reputation and run out of a job without anybody offering me a fair defense on ESPN. I work with all of you people. You all know me. You all know the content of my character. None of you man enough or have enough integrity to defend me in my moment of need, none of them. And so he's turned off here. I love it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a fan of the way John Gruden coaches. I think the things that he's done in football can't be overlooked or, or, uh, or under, underrated, you know. Um, the, 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 and I like that he said, let's get back to reality. Right, because part of reality for us Christians is repentance and redemption. And the left, you know, has demonstrated time and time again that they are either selective or completely uh, non-believers in repentance or redemption. And here, here's a man who said, you know, the, the, the big lips insult, racial connotation to it. There's no doubt about it. But it's very benign. I mean, it, it, it's just... It, I'll it, just say this. Let's say this. Let's say he had been in the email saying, Demora Smith is hung like a runaway slave. Racial connotation to it, but it's a compliment. Absolutely. I would love for someone to refer to me that way in Absolutely. Email. And... And I wouldn't be offended by it. So, They'd be lying, but I wouldn't be offended by it. <laughs> and, and, and the fact that, and, and secondly, you know, this whole, the, the whole notion that the, the private emails or that we've lost a sense of privacy in this country and the woke left is okay with losing their privacy or giving up their privacy if it satisfies their needs to further identity politics. This is what John Gruden experienced. The other two things he said, the P-U-S-S-Y, using that word, I use it all the time. I'll continue to use it if it makes me misogynist. I'll tattoo misogyny on, on, my, on my stomach. Um, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the LGBTQ, the using, the using the F word as well. I mean, it, it, you see the clumping of racism, feminism and LGBTQism. And anytime I see that, that, uh, that clumping together, I'm immediately apprehensive towards it. Love that point that you just made, pulling it all together in terms of, and this is what's so offensive to me, is just like, as a black person or someone with dark skin, I've been lumped into the feminist LGBT deal 
And I didn't sign up for that. Right. That's no part of my identity. And and uh, the things that allegedly hurt them, I'm so, they don't hurt me. And it's not that I'm an unsympathetic person. I I because because I am, and that's one of the reasons why I don't use the F word anymore. Because I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, and and I don't want to denigrate anybody. Because it would be no different than if if every time someone saw me. Uh, they, there's that gluttonous fat bastard. I wouldn't want to be referred to that way. I prefer to be called Jason. Uh, and and I say that in all seriousness, but but this whole lumping together like we're all a team, black people, gay people, and angry feminist women, I'm not on that team. And the, the thing that troubles me the most as a black man is that by being clumped into these other two movements, we have become more victim orientated and more uh, and, and softer. Uh, my my recommendation or prescription to black people, especially black men, is that we need to become harder and, and, and we, we need to become thicker skinned. Uh, around people if they want to say racist things or not. And this kind of goes back to our story yesterday about Rachel, the Duke volleyball player. And when you read her letter, um, she talked about safety a lot. She talked about her idea of safety and, and, and whether or not the players were able to continue on with the volleyball match in a safe manner. Um, her concept of safe is un-American. And that's the fundamental issue that the entire woke left mob and this amalgamation of feminism, racism, LGBTQism has at the center of their of their ideology is you have to be safe at all times. We have to do everything we can to make you safe, even if it means taking your rights. And, and I'm just totally against that, um, you know, 100 percent against that. I want to play two other clips. Uh, we can play them back to back. And they're just a reminder of how good John Gruden is as a broadcaster and how we, you know, we're making a big deal about Tony Romo and Tom Brady's getting $40 million and no one's hurting broadcast anything. Uh, you know, Aikman just got it rained on. Everybody's getting it rained on. And in the football world, watching these next two clips, I'm just reminded like, Whoa, maybe none of these guys are as good as John Gruden. Watch what he says provocatively about the lack of practice and then listen to the story he tells about Sterling Sharp. So this is a guy, you know, your dad taught you this. He said, if, you, if you're going to get into coaching, John, uh, you got to be a quarterback's coach. You got to know quarterbacks. And so that's what you've known. You're an offensive guy. Do you like the, the offenses the way they are now versus, you know, 25, 20 years ago? Not, not really. Um, you know, what's happened in the NFL and in college football is they've taken away time. You're not allowed to have spring practice or you got to have shorter practices, not as many practices. You can't wear pads. The NFL's tried to eliminate all the preseason games. No practices in the offseason. Not a lot of contact with these guys. Well, that waters down the things that you can do. I mean, you can't be as... Um, thick in your playbook if you don't have a lot of time with these people. Now when kids are transferring in and out and they're changing teams after a year or two, I see Friday high school football. I see the same offenses on Fridays I see on Saturday. And now I'm starting to see those offenses that are on Friday and Saturday in the NFL. So it's, it's, it's watered down a little bit. Everybody's running a similar running game now. And um, I'm not as crazy about it as I once was, but I still like it. 
And we had a play, number one play was 22 Z in, and the Z receiver runs a 12-yard hook. Well, Sterling Sharp was our Z. He was the best. And he was a mean guy. He was a tough guy to coach. He was rough. I mean, he was a real rough guy to be around sometimes. So Sterling catches the ball. He's nine yards deep. And the reason he ran that route short is he ran the full 12 on the practice field the week of, of the game, and Brett threw it so hard. He, Sterling never saw the ball hit him right in the throat. almost killed him. So in the game, Sterling cut his route short so he could see the ball leave Favre's hand. That's how hard this guy threw it. But when Sharp caught the ball on 22ZN, our number one play, for a nine-yard gain, it was second and one, Holmgren went berserk. He says, you better go get on him. You better go get on him. I'm going to watch you. You go yell at him. And I'm looking at Sterling Sharp on the sideline. So I went over to him and I went. <laughs> ah, damn, those were great days, though, let me tell you. <laughs> John Gruden, best broadcaster in football, and we don't have him anymore uh, because of this soft, woke culture we've created. Uh, I damn near forgot. Uh, Royce, that TJ Moe is here with us. Yeah. And so I want to bring TJ uh, into the conversation. TJ, you've been listening to me and Royce uh, go back and forth. And, and so I, I just, your thoughts on the vilification, demonization, uh, smearing, ruining of, of, of John Gruden by the mainstream media and how he's handled, how he handled his first public comments. So I'm only 31. I think Royce and I are about the same age, pretty close. I Culture has changed so much, even since I was in high school. I remember standing at the free throw line, and our rivals would chant, TJ Homo. And that was perfectly fine. That was acceptable. And the administrators on the other team nodded along, and our guys said, you know, make the free throw. Um, so we've come a long way. That was 2009, right? We've come, come a long way in a very short amount of time, and I don't think we're running the right direction. Um, I think, I love your point about how it's grouping all the victims together. Royce has talked about that. Delano's talked a lot about that. Um, I think part of what's happening here is the powers that be, whoever that is. In this case, it's the NFL. They're training everybody to believe that black men are weak and fragile and helpless. And they're so fragile that no one, uh, you can't say anything, even in a private email, you know, or else they'll fall apart. And they couldn't possibly play for a man who said a different black man had big lips, didn't say anything to you, said it privately to one of his friends about a different man that has nothing to do with you, who he was having a dispute with over something else. And so it's, you know, it goes back to, we talked about this several months ago, Josh Donaldson, went up to Tim Anderson, and after Tim Anderson had compared himself to Jackie Robinson, he taunted him and said, what's up, Jackie, and got suspended because apparently black men are so fragile that they can't possibly handle being taunted with something they've called themselves. And so it, it all goes in, I've, you know, to, to connect the dots a little bit, the, there, there's this voter ID dispute going on in politics. And this John Fetterman guy, the, the guy who's running against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, is saying it's racist to expect people to get voter IDs because black people don't have IDs. And, and maybe you guys can explain to me how you climbed Mount Everest to get your IDs. But I just I can't figure out how 
it has been embraced by people in society to say, oh, it's true. Black people are totally helpless. And the only way they can figure out this life is if we help them. And, and that's to Royce's point about, you know, there's no virtue in having thin skin. That's not how you make progress. What is basically being argued, and the drum I'm going to keep pounding and pounding and pounding is because it's all tied together, popular culture, Hollywood, the whole, all the messaging as it relates to black people. The woman is king. And that's why mm -hmm. they got this movie called coming out, The Woman King. And that's why, uh, you know, basically they're saying black people's leaders are black women. Fatter they are, the better. Stacey Abrams, that's why they want to make her president, governor or whatever. Uh, Kamala's not fat enough. Uh, and so everything is about black woman leadership. And they're the greatest thing that the black backbone of black people. And without them, we're nothing. And, and, and anybody with a brain would just look at the results of our matriarchal culture and say, if they want to claim credit for this, let them have it. This is, if that's what they want to claim credit for. When black men were leading our culture, we, we, civil rights movement, end of slavery, end of Jim Crow laws, blah, blah. there's a whole laundry list of accomplishments. Now that the black woman has been put in charge, we got a bunch of prisons filled up, we got a bunch of soft men running around, and, and again, it's just like this whole scheme, and I'm gonna connect all of this back to, and TJ, you did a good job of segueing me back into Rachel Richardson. This whole uh, thing of this scheme that they hatched to install Rachel Richardson, because that's what I believe it is at this point. This is an orchestrated scheme and everybody's in on it. They had this woman on Outside the Line yesterday on ESPN selling this myth that, again, and we'll get into the details, particularly with these Brigham Young kids, the students there that uh, we'll interview, that will talk about their reporting, what's really going on with this story. But here's ESPN with Rachel Rich, a 19-year-old girl who, there's no proof, there's no evidence, there's, the game's on TV, she had no reaction. But they have her on outside the lines yesterday like she survived uh, uh, a kidnapping attempt or that the KKK came to lynch her and she survived and fought them off. Yeah. And all, which someone allegedly called her a name in a crowd. But here she is on outside the lines yesterday. I believe that meeting anger with anger, it just starts a cycle of more anger. As a young black woman in America, I know I don't have the privilege of reacting all the time or else it paints that face of, oh, you're just another angry black woman. I felt as though responding to it in the way that I did would help the greater purpose. And that's creating awareness and that's allowing everyone from both sides to better see the fact that we should all be working towards a common goal. We shouldn't be trying to create two sides. What I want the most out of this, one, is to raise awareness, and two, to hopefully encourage institutions such as BYU and others to start really putting in those efforts and the funds to educate the general student body. I 
don't want to group BYU altogether in a negative light. So I've just seen it as an opportunity to raise awareness for the fact that racist incidents such as these, they still are happening. It is 2022 and it should be unacceptable, but it still happens. And that is due to a lack of education on situations such as these, a lack of education on how to deal with people who might still be ignorant, who might be racist. You know, you have to learn how to look at someone as a person and only that, because that's what helps you meet someone with compassion. This is a damn commercial. They set this thing to music, man. They set this thing to music. And what I was trying to do is make sure they're spending the funds on This is a shakedown. Wow. Mm. This is this is a shakedown of college university. I'm starting to think maybe there's a long talk organization that may be in on this and she's maybe got some her maybe her uh, godmother who, you know, her Twitter field is filled. Her Twitter feed was filled with racist stuff. Her godmother that started all this is the real racist in all of this, and it's backed up by the racist things she was saying on her Twitter feed. She's far more racist than whoever this anonymous person is at BYU, and, and, but this feels like an orchestrated scam when they're setting this woman's comments to music and it's like a movie's being played and she's giving, oh, yeah, I didn't want to hurt anybody. I didn't want to meet anger with anger. I just wanted yeah. to smear all of BYU as racist and, and paint everybody there as animalistic people that for two hours yelled racial slurs at me and no one did anything, but I didn't meet their anger with anger. I went the passive aggressive route and just destroyed everybody. I am Khaleesi, mother of dragons. This is another episode of Game of Thrones brought to you by ESPN. Yeah, I mean, number one, she, she's saying two very distinct things. One is um, pacifism is the way of the future, right? All of our social corrections have to come in a pacifist manner. And unless, of course, you're unvaccinated, then we'll lock you in your home by force. So if you, if you don't agree with us, violence is okay. If you agree with us, uh, then, then we have to go passive. Or and, let me add this one here, and I, this yeah. will be a funny bone for you. Or if you disagree with something the cops do, uh, you are free to loot and burn a city. Go ahead. Exactly, no, <laughs> true. And, and, and what, what she's also saying is, um, BYU, you are one of the last institutions of Christianity which is white supremacy. So we have to educate you on how your Christian beliefs are really leading to your white supremacy. She's not fooling me. I mean, what is this girl, 19 years old? Only the liberal left and their delusions would think that this woman could get up and uh, fool competent black men. And this is why they don't want competent black men to leave because we wouldn't let her say those things in public if we were advising her. And You know, I feel for her because I have a young, younger sister who's at Wisconsin, which is an, another bastion of, of uh, liberal liberalism. Yeah. Um, she's at, at, at Madison and she's playing basketball as a freshman. And I know how, how impressionable 19-year-old uh, girls are, as well as 19-year-old men. 19-year-old uh, women are, are similar. Um, but, but this whole thing now, in retrospect, seems more orchestrated than when I heard it the first time especially mm. when they put the music and the epithets that she's <laughs> saying are are so 
in alignment with the mainstream liberal establishment message that that there's 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 almost no genuineness or credibility to this. TJ, but she she forgot one of her lines, too. She started to say because there's not enough education. What was my line? Uh, uh, on situations like this, she was fed all of it. You don't, they had the music picked out. They, they went to their polls like they do in, um, they did their little study groups and they say, which of the, which of this music does it hit home with the best? It was all pre-planned. I just, I don't understand. Again, I'll tell you from the, the white guy in Missouri perspective, how, why we're lining up and asking black people to show us why thin skin is a good thing and how we all need to change the world to wrap around this thin skin that in its only one direction because Antonio Brown walked up to Mike Mayock his general manager called him a cracker and threatened to punch him in the face and everybody sort of shrugged and said ah well that's a B and so the, what we're to assume again one of the highest profile pe People out there, Mike Mayock, a big name, was on NFL Network forever. It was a huge deal when he got the job. He was with John Gruden there. That was all a big thing. We are to assume that, well, that's okay. White people have thick skin and they're okay. But if it happens to a black person, we're going to have to take care of them. It's a terrible message for both sides, right? Because you're training every person to say that they're soft, okay? They can't quite hack it like you can. I don't have the privilege to act out when I'm wrong. I must <laughs> seek a higher purpose and meet the world with love. Whereas white women, when they're wronged, or white men, when they're wrong, they have the privilege to just act out and do whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, the only time I'm allowed to act out is when I believe the police have harmed a resisting criminal suspect. And then I can burn buildings down. I can uh, loot stores, get me some new Nikes and Adidas gear. Uh, then I can skip school. I can do all kinds of things. That's the only time I'm allowed the privilege to act out is when. And so would, would a white cop please, please kill another black man so I don't have to pull off scams like this? If you guys would just kill more black men, we wouldn't have to do these scams. LeBron wouldn't have to have his servants pretend the N-word was painted on his garage. Jesse Smollett wouldn't have to remove a penis from his booty hole and pretend that white MAGA men put it there when really it was African black men who put their penises in his booty hole and tried to tie him up and kidnap him. So please, white men, kill black men so that we don't have to do these performative scams all the time. Thank you. I'll give you one more. I'll give uh, you one more. Bubba Wallace. Yeah. Didn't matter Bubba if it was Wallace, there. That's right. We took the FBI and said, that's you right. better go figure out if this was there. Poor Bubba Wallace. Mm. Poor Bubba. He didn't have the <laughs> privilege to speak out on that. He, there was a knot, a knot that he didn't even see. Oh, God, the terror of it all. Uh, support conservative voices. Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash fearless. Get $10 off your yearly subscription. Email us. Let us know your feedback. I know you hate me. I don't care.
I hate many of you as well. Uh, no, I don't. I don't hate anybody. Let me start. Fearless at theblaze.com. Uh, the BYU writers, Luke Hansen and Thomas Stevenson, they've got a different take based on their reporting on this whole BYU situation. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's go to the source, or let's go to some actual journalism and reporting that's actually been done around the Rachel Richardson Duke volleyball story. Uh, unfortunately, we can't go to ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, the billion-dollar mega company that prides itself allegedly on doing some journalism. They just uh, reprinted the allegations as it relates to Rachel Richardson and that's all the journalism they're doing. But some, I believe, college students at Brigham Young University, uh, they have a student paper there, I think, called the Cougar Chronicle. And so Luke Hansen and Thomas Stevenson uh, wrote a story, I believe, yesterday about this issue, and it contradicts uh, the narrative quite a bit from what we've heard from the mainstream media. Uh, Luke. Hanson, Thomas Stevenson, uh, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, so hold on, guys. Give, I'll start with you, Luke, because I, I don't want you both talking at the same time. You're on the same sky. Luke, are you guys both college students at Brigham Young? And did you, you founded your own student newspaper or you worked for the student newspaper at Brigham Young? So correct, we are both college students and we are just getting started trying to put together a student newspaper. We actually started just as a Instagram account and I started a podcast about a year ago and now we're trying to get into the student news space and we're independent from the university. They have their own paper, but we're trying to start our own thing. All right, so as a follow-up, has the student newspaper associated with Brigham Young University, are they covering this story and reporting anything similar to what you guys are. So just a little bit after we put out our story, they put out on their Instagram account a call for sources, people that were actually in the crowd to get their story. So it looks like they're going to be starting to cover this, but so far there hasn't been anything from them. All right, so Thomas, uh, walk us through a little bit of the story you guys reported that caught my attention. Uh, I believe the story is oh, where I just had it called up. Uh, it's an exclusive story. I just had the thing called up and now I can't find. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, exclusive racist comments at BYU volleyball game never happen. Sources suggest. And you guys have a source within the athletic department that you're calling Connor. Anyway, walk us through what you what you guys reported. Yeah, so that's correct. We we heard about the incident like everyone else did. And at first we believed everything that was happening because BYU put out a statement and they said that they had banned a student uh, or banned someone that was at the game uh, that they identified and that Duke had identified that said the N-word repeatedly to Rachel Richardson. But after we put, we put out our own statement in response to that because uh, we wanted to not let that trigger a bunch of anti-racist uh, training, like left-wing training that would happen on campus. So we did our own take on it, and then someone messaged us and said that they were part of the athletic department 
and had inside sources and kind of explained the whole situation to us from there. And then we reached out to multiple people in the student section who were at the game that we knew of, and none of them had any account that they had actually heard it. And people on the court themselves didn't hear the student, didn't hear anything like, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> anything like a racial slur as well. So one of the things that fascinated me is that obviously volleyball is a big deal at Brigham Young. There's nearly 6,000 spectators and fans there. This game was televised. You can watch the entire uh, two hours of the game on YouTube right now. Uh, I've watched some of it. What kind of shocks me, and I, I've seen the aspects where she says that when she was in front of the student section, you know, this is where, and serving the ball, this is when she heard these shouts. And, and there just seems to be no reaction from her or any of her teammates when, when these slurs were going on. I'm wondering if you guys have watched the tape or were you at the game? Uh, and, and just what is the atmosphere like at a BYU volleyball game? Yeah, so BYU section, the BYU student section is kind of known for being one of the bigger student sections and we get rowdier, but we, we have a lot of school spirit with it. And it, it gets really, really loud in football, at football games, at basketball games, at volleyball games in particular. But, um, I'm sorry, what was the other question? You said the atmosphere and then what was the other thing? If we were there. If we were there. Well, yeah, we, we weren't yeah, there ourselves. Uh, but we have you ever heard about. Yeah, we've been I, at least I've been personally to several volleyball games. I'm actually not okay. much of a sports so person. But I, I do want to point out about this particular game. This was during new student orientation. So as an activity during their student orientation, the freshmen had the opportunity to go to this game for free as one of their activities. So I'm, I'm not sure what the crowds are like normally, but it would seem to me that there would be a lot of incoming, excited freshmen at this game that normally wouldn't be there otherwise. So if I had to guess, I would say the excitement level at this game would be far above what you would expect on average at a women's volleyball college game. And so it's a Mormon school, a lot of religious kids. I didn't go to a religious school. I'm old enough to be you guys' dads. Uh, and so I just went to a, a regular school and I, you know, I was a football player, but we went to the basketball games as athletes and we'd get in the student section, we would yell things. And I would just tend to think the tenor and the kind of comments that would be said at a Mormon school like Brigham Young, a religious school, might be uh, not as profane or as aggressive at a mainstream school. And so I'm just, what is, and I believe Thomas, you said you've been to some of these events, what's the nature of the taunting that generally comes uh, from the BYU student section? I don't think these kids are perfect. They're certainly capable of all the same sins as everyone else, but I would just be shocked at a religious school if someone is shouting racial slurs and no one reacts. That seems odd. Yeah, so to get an idea, uh, basketball games, when the team, the opposite team is announced, 
each name that they announce, the student section basically goes, hi, and repeats their name. That's like a taunt that's commonly done. And then also on free throws, we wave signs. And that's basically the most stuff you're going to hear at a student section, especially at a basketball game. So, and I'll find this hard to believe. There, there's, but again, I don't, I don't know. I didn't attend a religious school. Uh, there probably is some profanity among the students. I mean, they're just kids like everybody else. But is profanity un, uh, probably a bit more uncommon on your campus than maybe a typical college campus? Yeah, it would definitely be more uncommon. Like, there's no chance or cheers that we have specifically that I've heard at any games. Like, you have the classic, what is, I can't even, there's a, the BYU cheer that we sing at football games. I can't even remember the whole, it's like a song. And then we have a few things like, you can't do that, and a few other chants that we say, but none of them have any profanity in them. And so it would be very uncommon to hear students chanting that type of stuff. You very rarely the hear the word I, damn on campus. I'll put it that way. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. As profanity. Uh, and so, so uh, one of the things I saw online was that uh, some black members of the BYU basketball team were at the volleyball match, seated very close to or in the student section. That would be the other thing that would make it seem crazy like that some kids with black peers around would be shouting the, the, the N-word. And, and so let me frame the question this way. Obviously, it's very easy from people from afar. Oh, Utah, the state is 98% white. Brigham Young, you know, other than the athletes, it's all white Mormon religious people maybe some Samoans, I, I'm not sure. Uh, racism just must be running rampant on BYU's campus. BYU must, you know, the students there must hate black people and it's just filled with racism. What do you guys say to the allegation that Brigham Young is a racist bastard? I can begin with that. This is actually what prompted me to start my podcast is that George Floyd riots led our president to put together a group called the Committee on Race, Equity and Belonging. And they put out a report that essentially concluded that black people feel very unsafe on campus due to racism. And I did a bit of a deeper dive into that. And it just doesn't really hold up. For example, the examples that they give of racism on campus mostly consist of people that are not white saying, because there are a lot of people like not like me on campus, I don't feel safe here. And that's most of the reasons that they give for racism. So I personally haven't seen it very much, but if you define racism as being around a lot of white people, then yeah, I guess there is a lot here. Well, let me ask a follow-up, Luke, because I, it seems like I've heard a lot of reports in the media lately or in the last few years, haven't there been a number of lynchings and cross burnings on Brigham Young's campus? Isn't that kind of commonplace? Isn't that what you guys do on Fridays? Uh, no, it's only every other Friday. So you might have misheard that, but yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I apologize for the joke and the sarcasm because this is a somewhat serious matter. 
mm-hmm. your story, you indicate, and, and I'm, I'm not a thousand percent clear, but you kind of indicate the guy that's been charged or accused of doing this is a special needs person. Did, did I read this correctly? That the person they pinned this on is, is some kind of special needs student from another school? So I can, I can take that one. Yeah, uh, from what our sources told us uh, in the athletic department and what we've heard from other people around us, uh, just kind of that are involved in the news and have done research themselves, it was someone with special needs that they went up to the Duke volleyball players and it was a BYU fan, but it wasn't a student and got up in the face of one of them. And then they said that they recognized his voice from the ra- <clears throat> from the racial slurs that were being t- said from the student section. And then from the athletic department source, we can confirm that they looked over the whole videotape and he was actually never in the student section. At the time she said the allegation occurred. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I've seen a picture of this kid in in that section. I think the Turtle Boy Sports yeah. or Aiden Kearney published a picture, and and he looks like a special needs kid. Yeah, and, but and we can, this is so the, that guy. Yeah, that guy. We saw the ahead. same picture as well, uh, but from our sources, it wasn't. Well, I mean, it could have been him if he changed his shirt because the one from the source said that it was a yellow mustard shirt that he was wearing. And the guy pictured behind Rachel Richardson, he has a blue shirt on, he has a BYU shirt on. So unless you change your shirt often at volleyball games, it's probably not the same guy. Okay, and so, but but the person that they are alleging threatened Rachel Richardson and the girls on the volleyball, from you all's understanding and reporting, that's a special needs kid who perhaps uh, inadvertently uh, may have said something that spooked some young girls, but probably not a mass shooter or uh, some domestic violence person that was hoping to take out some Duke players. Is, is that your understanding? That is, that's our understanding, yeah. We don't have a positive ID on the person. We just have the messages that were shown to us from people directly involved. And both of the people in these messages say that they believe it was a special needs person. But we, like if you had a picture, we couldn't show it to you. We're just forwarding what we've heard from people more directly involved with it. And so what is y'all's theory on why BYU folded so quickly and backed up Rachel Richardson's story? Why do you think they did that? They've just had a lot of bad PR with racial politics lately because of groups on campus like the Black Menaces. They're starting chapters at different schools right now as well. They put out a statement about this too. Um, but because of that, BYU has just gotten Oh, Hold for one second. Hold for one second. <clears throat> yeah. hold for, what's the name of that group and what are they doing? They're called the Black Menaces and they go around basically asking gotcha questions to students and posting them on TikTok. Posting them on TikTok, yeah. And a lot of the questions need more than a yes or no or a short three word answer. 
to break everything down because there's a lot of political jargon that's wrapped up in these questions. And students who aren't politically active or aren't as involved just don't always know what to say. So, And you can take questions and video of anyone asking them questions about this type of stuff and then post online and make people look like fools because they don't really know what they're talking about. And so I'm going to black menaces, M-E-N. So they're menacing people. Under And this is, and you think this isn't just at Brigham Young University? Again, I don't keep up with TikTok that closely. I'm old. Uh, and so this is going on in other universities as well? So it started here and they've grown so big. And then because of that have started other chapters at different universities or what they call predominantly white institutions. PWIs. Yeah. Got you. And so the, the other thing that you've kind of described is that the university administration seems to be bowing to the woke culture. And that's part of the reason why you guys have started alternative media. Yeah, the the Daily Universe, which is the student run paper at BYU, I wouldn't say that they are completely woke, but just kind of the tilt of a lot of their stories is in that direction. And you would kind of expect that uh, considering it's a journalism major um, place that people would go. Tommy and I are not journalists. We have we aren't training in that, although we tried to do as best we could. With I mean, this PR. Article. Yeah, PR slightly related. But yeah, BYU, um, it's been unfortunate some of the steps that they've been taking and the fact that they have been kind of essentially saying, we agree with you, even though we can't find any evidence of this. They're really just throwing the BYU students in the crowd under the bus to save their own skin, which isn't even working because everybody's bashing them still anyway. Well, guys, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, continue the work. Uh, the truth will eventually win out. May not be in my lifetime, but hopefully in yours. Uh, we're living in a strange time. And uh, I appreciate guys like you that are willing to take the risk. You're going to get called all kinds of names. I'm sure uh, you'll get doxxed and, and they'll, you'll be members of the Patriot Front, Proud Boys, and every other group they can, Oath Keepers, every other group uh, they can come up with. Uh, but to me, you just strike me as two young kids interested in exposing the truth, and we need more of that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Black Menaces, Royce. Maybe that's, we should change the name of this show. Yeah. To the Black Menaces. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Could you imagine being on a college campus in this type of racially charged environment? The gotcha questions and I mean, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't understand where the, I didn't understand from those two where the Black Menaces, were these black students or were I they so, white yes. students? No, they're black, black students that are. Interesting you know, fixing the world over TikTok. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> All right, get your Fearless Army swag. Shop blazemedia.com slash fearless. Shamika Michelle, she's gonna make it make sense with Lizzo. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't wanna go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. 
right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to roll out to North Carolina, bring in Shamika Michelle, play a little Make It Make Sense. Uh, Lizzo won an award at the VMAs and uh, delivered, uh, you know, quite the acceptance speech. Uh, I believe she spoke out against oppression, salads, and exercise, but we'll play the clip and hear for ourselves. Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. So remember when you're voting for your favorite artist, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. Shamika. Can you make that make sense uh, for me and Royce? Hi, guys. So, you know, today, Jason, when it comes to Lizzo, I'm going to surprise people and defy reality by being the bigger person. Uh, Let me get straight (laughs) to the point here. For the slow motions out there listening, What laws in 2022 are there that oppress black people? I'm talking about laws on the books that oppress black people. Once again, we have a black woman who doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. And it really irritates me because this is a woman who has achieved success right here in the United States. Again, she doesn't meet your traditional standard of beauty, and it has nothing to do with race. When we think of beautiful women, we think about people like Nia Long, Naomi Campbell, uh, Vivica Fox, and I'm talking about BFC Vivica before 50 Cent. These are the people that we consider beautiful. And I'm not saying Lizzo is not, but what I'm saying is she has come along and broke the mold. Literally. And so I just think that it is not fair for her to stand up there knowing the influence that she has to continue to push a narrative, these lies that we are oppressed here. It makes absolutely no sense. And so I I wish she would realize how far she's come. 30 years ago, Uh, We had Kelly Price who could sing her face off. People thought they did that. She didn't get the recognition she should have because she was was fat. We had Martha Washington who would have skinny women lip syncing to her vocals in videos and and in live performances because she was fat. Here it is, though. Lizzo is fat. I don't care what anyone says. She is fat. But we praise her. She gets all of these accolades. She, you know, she's she plays the flute great. And honestly, Jason, outside of her forcing us to see her naked, excuse me, (laughs) I actually like her. So I want her to understand she's come a very long way in just my lifetime. Stop pushing lies. Watch out for the big girl. No, watch out for the big lies that they keep telling and pushing on our people. Totally agree with you. I'm saying this in all seriousness. I I literally, I mean, virtually every day, I'm amazed at my life. And and, and, because again, I grew up poor. 
my, my, and people get tired of hearing me say it, but my father didn't graduate high school. My mother was a factory worker. In 1984, me and my father were living in a one bedroom, 400 square foot apartment in the hood. And he, look at my little fat chubby self and how far I've come. And again, I don't meet people's standards of beauty. Uh, I graduated college with a 2.3 grade point average, or maybe it was a 2.23 grade point average. Uh, and, and just through a willingness to show up, mostly, and, and to improve on things I needed to improve on, as it were, I built a tremendous journalism career, have made more money than I ever imagined making when I was a kid, more money than anybody in my family's ever made, done tremendous things for my family and friends. I feel so blessed. And, and all I can do to think back is because I want other people to feel the same blessing, same success. Mm. All I can think to do is, is to turn back and say, well, here's how I did it. Yeah. And hopefully it'll work for you. I'm not going to look back and say, well, <laughs> we're so oppressed. You can't do it. I'm special. Okay. I'm, spe I'm, a un I'm a unicorn. I no, I'm not. I was a dude that cheated off my friends in high school. Uh, hustled my way through college, uh, again, graduated with a very average GPA, and then at age 23, once I graduated college, something clicked in me. I hadn't made so many mistakes that I couldn't recover, but once I graduated from college, I was like, man, I'm a Whitlock, I gotta take care of myself, I gotta work hard like my mother and father did, and I really just pivoted and just really dove in. It was just like, just work hard, be reliable, show up, be a good person. Be... And it's worked for me, and I think it will work for other people. I had black and white people, but plenty of white, help me along the way. That, that I could, Bob Hamill, Andy Graham, uh, you know, I could rattle off a whole list of people that helped me along the way. And it wasn't because, again, I wasn't because, you know, I was special. Yeah. There's just good people out there that want to see other people that put a little work in, have success. And these people helped me. I could, I'm I could rattle off so many different names of people, black, white, whomever. And so that's all. I don't understand why these celebrities and why a fat celebrity that's worth 10, 12, 20 million dollars, why she would, her message is, oh, we're oppressed. And, but, and not like, baby, let me tell you how I made it and what you can do to make it. I don't get it. Yeah, I get it. I mean, first off, Lizzo's from Minnesota. So, again, I'm a little biased, oh, right? right. Uh, I always like to see Minnesota people do well, and, and uh, especially Minnesota musicians. We've come a long way from the, the days of the iconic Prince, in, as is evident with, with a character like Lizzo. Um, she... Uh, you know, she she has become a mouthpiece for the, and she's talented as all hell. I mean, let's just be honest. She's very talented, trained traditionally in, in the arts, and and she's a great performer. She's a, she, you know actually plays an instrument, which is more than you can say for a lot of musicians today. Uh, she has an incredible voice and and is witty and all of that. But once again, uh, black people's talent and identity is being used to forward an agenda. And the agenda with Lizzo and this normalization of, of being fat or obese is, is very, very sinister. It's, um, if you can, 
if we can socialize you all to have uh, to get affirmation and being unhealthy on Instagram, then you can be happy with your life. You can be content. You don't need faith. You don't need God. You don't even need companionship. You don't need children. All you need is to be able to post an image on on Instagram and for people to like it and to comment that you love yourself and your beauty is an expression of art and you go girl and and that's the height of your of your life and, and a success in this country. And many people look at a Lizzo and uh, and and think, hey, there's nothing wrong with being being overweight until a pandemic hits and and uh, you know COVID-19 has a disproportionate effect on those who are overweight. And, you know, I, I always appreciate that you, you know, regardless of your own struggles with weight, you never promote it as though it's a positive thing. It's not. You, and, and I never see you posing yeah. nude on Instagram either. I won't. Right. And so, you know, I shower with my clothes on, Royce. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there's a stark difference where even the left would be like, well, Jason Whitlock is overweight and you know, he's criticized somebody else. But there's a difference. And it's, it kind of goes back to those Christian roots, right? The, the, and you always say, well, I'm not the perfect person. I've said I'm not a devout Christian. There's a difference of believing in sin and not believing in sin. There's a difference in whether you believe that there's a potential to be wrong and to have redemption or, or, or uh, to confess and believing that, there, that wrong is an absolutely morally relative thing. Uh, and, and that's the modern crisis of femininity. That's why Lizzo don't think that it's wrong, that it's wrong for her to celebrate being overweight and unhealthy, even if it affects another woman down the road. And that's why many women don't believe there's anything that they do wrong. So. Thank you, Royce. Thank you, Shamika. I, I want to take a moment here and I, I just, I, no, put that lower third back up because I'm irate about this lower third. Put this over, I don't know who did it, I don't know who's responsible for it, but that lower third that says Lizzo's toilet seat battles oppression, depression, and anxiety. I think that's very disrespectful and unfair. I want to apologize to our audience for whoever on my staff put that lower third up there. We do not want to draw attention to the pains of Lizzo, Lizzo's toilet seat. They're struggling with oppression, they're struggling with depression and anxiety, probably terrified by the hell damage that they see most days. And so I'm very upset about this lower third. I'm sorry that we're drawing attention to it and people are gonna be talking about that and looking at that lower third continuously. Someone on my staff is gonna pay a price for putting that lower third on this screen and subjecting our audience to this. That toilet seat needs our thoughts and prayers, not to be ridiculed because that toilet seat is struggling with oppression, depression, and anxiety, and is terrified of the hail damage that it sees most days of the weeks. Uh, I wanna apologize to our audience and we will move on from here. Uh, YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit notifications, hit subscribe. Uh, harmony, and we need some harmony now because I'm probably in trouble for this entire show. Uh, Pastor Anthony's gonna clean up and class up uh, the rest of this conversation. We're gonna have about Steve Harvey next. Wednesday, 
favorite time of Wednesday, time for some Tennessee harmony. Uh, Pastor Anthony Walker is here with us. Uh, I believe Bobby's in Arkansas, uh, but Royce White uh, sitting in with uh, Pastor Anthony and I. Uh, Royce, we start this segment uh, with a prayer. Uh, so Anthony, get us rolling, then we'll get into our discussion. Father God, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for your blessings, the blessing even of this platform to be able to share your word, your truth. Bless us as we discuss on today that it is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Uh, and so Steve Harvey, the comedian, the host of Family Feud, has a talk show, a daily talk show. He's one of my favorite uh, celebrities, to be quite honest with you, and it's because his energy is so positive. I love the way he represents himself. I don't agree with everything. I, I'm not sure if, you know, his book, uh, Act Like a Woman, Think Like a Man, or Think mm -hmm. Like a Man, Act Like a Woman, I can't, can't remember what. Anyway, I'm not sure. I did like the movie, to be honest with you. Uh, but, but don't agree with everything Steve Harvey does, but his energy is so positive. Uh, you know, he dresses so immaculately, seems to have found the woman of his dreams and represents that in a, in a positive way. Uh, reminds me of my dad and his friends, even though, you know, Steve's probably only seven, 10 years older than me. Uh, but anyway, Steve did something this week that I found interesting. He posted a motivational speech he was giving to his audience uh, that included uh, biblical scripture and biblical advice. And it sounded to me like prosperity preaching, but it's coming from a non-preacher. And so I, I didn't know how I felt about it. And so I got three different clips. I want to give you guys a taste of what he said. Uh, Anthony and, and Royce, I think, have seen the entire clip. You can find it on Steve's Twitter feed if you want the whole thing. But let's first start with his, uh, the introduction of his motivational speech. I'm gonna give you two things that I want you to do. If you do these two things, it will transform your life. I'm a motivational speaker when I'm not doing this, but, and the reason I do really well as a motivational speaker, because I know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I, you're looking at somebody been, been at the bottom before. So I'm not like some rich dude whose mama and them had some money and gave me some money, now I'm telling y'all how to get over. No, I'm gonna tell you how to get over because I've been under. I'm gonna tell you how to get up because I've been down. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm gonna tell you how to finish because I got off to a bad start. Now I'm about to tell you two things. Now listen to me. What I'm about to tell you, this is for spiritual people only. If you're not a spiritual person, this ain't for you. If you don't believe in God, this, this ain't finna do nothing for you. So that's his introduction. And my first little part of disagreement is <clears throat> anything that comes out of your mouth should be edifying to whoever hears it. And particularly if you're about to go into the good news, <laughs> if you're about to start preaching the gospel, Non-believers, believers, anybody can be edified by the gossip. That would be my first reaction to what he's about to do. But I'm on the edge of my seat. I, oh, let's hear what he's got to say. It's Steve Harvey. He's very successful. I like Steve Harvey. He's positive. Let's hear what he has to say. And so here's his per first piece of advice. 
This scripture changed my life. You have not cause you ask not. You have any idea how major those words are for you? You have not cause you ask not. It's such a simple scripture, but it's in your Bible. It ain't just in rich people's Bible. It's in the same copy you got. You have not cause you ask not. This is the truest statement you'll hear me say today. Cause it's true. Most people don't have the life of their dreams cause you don't ask God for the life of your dreams. In reality, when I heard this the first time, I paused and I started talking to God cause I'm like, I gotta ask God about this weight loss journey that I'm on. And so let me make sure, and, and I'm already doing it, but it was just a reminder to let me put, tell God exactly what I want on this weight loss deal and the help I need and blah, blah. So I'm right here, I'm, I'm good so far. Then we pivot to point two and that's where I got uncomfortable. And so this last one's about two minutes to unpack, I believe. Uh, but here's the last piece of Steve's advice. Second reason people don't have what they want, and be through it, they don't have it written down. This is a very, very important piece to success. It's a principle of success. Every wealthy person knows this. I don't know nobody wealthy don't have a vision board. I don't know nobody wealthy don't have their stuff written on a piece of paper. I don't know nobody. I know a lot of people doing good. We have discussed it at great lengths. They've showed me some of their vision boards that why well, I had to go back and change mine. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. But you gotta have a vision board that's gotta be written down. You know why? Because that's a scripture too. Habakkuk two and two. Go, I know where this one at. Habakkuk two and two. Go home and read that one. It says, write the vision and make it plain so that he who reads it will run to it. And even though it tarry, that means take a long time, wait for it, for surely it will come at an appointed time. Man, I'm telling you real now. What I'm telling you works. This ain't no magic trick. If you up your ask and you write everything you want from God on a piece of paper. Now here's the exercise I want you to do. This is gonna trip you out. Write everything you want from God on a piece of paper. Be as detailed as you can. Write it down. The object for you is to write down 300 things. Because I know 300 things that you could use. It's gonna be hard for you. When you get to number 75, you're gonna get stuck because your mind isn't conditioned to think way out there. So you're gonna try to stay in your little list. But I want you to just open up your imagination. If you could have anything you wanted, put it on a piece of paper, anything. How many cars? What kind of car? What color? Where you want your next house to be? Do you want a summer home? Where you want to travel to? How much you want in the bank? How much would you like to have to retire? What you want to leave for your grandkids? How much would you like to give all your siblings? Would you like to one day walk in and there and just give all your family a check? Put everything you want on a piece of paper. Do not stop until you have 300 things. Anthony, <laughs> make it make sense. <laughs>
<laughs> I can't make it make sense. <laughs> I, like you, I like Steve. Uh, I, I, he was one that I looked up to as a young kid. Clean dresser, uh, funny guy, charismatic. Okay. Uh, but kind of like you, if, if you're around somebody that wants to talk football, uh, you're going to get a little, you know, your antenna's going to go up because you played the game at a high level. Roy, somebody comes to you talking about plays and NBA. You, okay, wait a minute. I know the deal between D1, D2, NBA. I get it. So when I hear somebody say, just like you did, when he said, hey, this is spiritual, I'm leaning in. Okay, I, this is my field. I kind of know a little bit about this. But then he starts quoting scripture that have nothing to do in their context, have nothing to do with what he's talking about. If he gave those points as a motivational speaker solely, a lot of that has some some merit to it. Uh, There are a lot of people that don't have the discipline to, you know, envision their plan of life. They want some things, but they don't know how to work for it. And when Steve compares this to himself, I trust him. He's been at the bottom. He's talked about it several times. But Steve's real secret behind all of this, a lot of it has been his discipline. He's a hard worker. Even to this day, he works very hard. If you've hit rock bottom, you've learned to live uh, humbly, homeless. You've had to work hard. So that's the bread and butter of a lot of what he's done. But then he wants to take scripture and say, well, this scripture you have not because you ask not. That passage of scripture, you hear me say the word context. Context is just a way that uh, what the situation of what this scripture is. That's what context means. What is the situation in which this scripture is mentioned? The context of James chapter uh, four, verse two, you have not because you ask not. Here's what he's actually saying. He says, do you want to know why there are fights between you all? Because there are fights on the inside of you. Mm. You're jealous. You're prideful. You don't even know what you want. And so he says, you murder, you kill, you covet, and you don't have. And then he says, you have not because you ask not. But he goes on to say, and when you ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. Mm. You're just asking for pride. You're asking the floss on everybody. This has nothing to do with. So then God concludes that passage by saying, God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. That's what that scripture is mm. actually talking about. Not just to, you know, blanket you have not because you ask not. Yeah. But then when we go to the other one and this Hold one, for one second. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I want to because yeah. uh, TJ this morning sent me uh, James 4, 3, which you just sure. referenced. Sure. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Yes. <laughs> and that's basically what you were referencing. Yeah. That's yeah. the extra. And, and literally, I, I, I shared with TJ this morning how this completely related to me as it relates to my whole weight loss journey. I used to, when it, particularly the years I lived out in L.A., because I'd go to Vegas a lot and I like to socialize in Vegas. And every year I would start January 1 off with, going to lose weight. And my whole motivation, or much of my motivation is like, man, when I hit these pool parties in Vegas this summer, Mm. oh boy. And and literally, I I just, I told TJ the story before, but then I even added more detail because there was a particular server at my favorite pool that I was in love with. And I just kept having this fantasy, like two, three years in a row that, oh yeah, this year I'm going to go down there, I'm going to be in shape. I'm going to hook up with this. 
never would happen. I show up each year, fatter or the same weight, blah, 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 blah. But then I said, once I started, what's happened to me over the last year, year and a half is I was like, man, I want to lose weight so I can serve God better. What's happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and so once I went into with the right motives and started asking God to help me address this issue, but as long as it was about me and some pool party and some stupid sex, it it never happened. Yeah. And so he's talking to an audience of people who are wanting to quote live their best life, and simply tell them all you got to do is ask for it. Could you imagine if that's what you're asking for? Hey, God. Make her available this year when I go back. Make me healthy when I, like, this ain't nothing to do with that. So then when he goes to Habakkuk 2.2, and and this one I've heard a lot of ministers uh, take out of context, and I'll say this, they may be well-intended. And and I'm going to say even for Steve, he may be well-intended. I'm trying to help people. But when you understand what you're actually quoting to them, it has nothing to do with what you're talking about, Steve. Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk is a prophet of God. Habakkuk chapter one, he's praying to God and he's asking, God, I'm seeing all this violence. I'm seeing all this stuff going on in the world. Why are you not responding? So God says, I'm going to tell you, it's because of the, the sin that exists and I'm going to send a judgment to cleanse the sin. So chapter two, Habakkuk says, okay, I'm going to stand and wait for your response. And this is when God begins speaking. He says, okay, Take the vision. What vision? What I told you earlier about me raising up the Chaldeans to come in and overtake Israel to rid them because of sin. He says, take that vision. Habakkuk, not Jason, not Anthony, not sister girl trying to make a vision board. Habakkuk, you take the vision, write it down, make it plain. That phrase, make it plain is make it legible, easily understood. I want you to post this in the community so that when they see it, he who reads it will run. If you're living a sinful life, if you're part of the problem, you're going to see this and say, oh man, the Chaldeans are coming. I got to get out of here. And then he goes on to say, it won't tarry. It will come to pass. So you don't think what I'm going to do, do is going to happen. Just wait, it's going to happen. Has nothing to do with vision board, has nothing to do. Steve is painting a picture that if I just arbitrarily write some stuff down that God is bound to give it to me. Like this has nothing to do with the text. I got a couple of scriptures, though, that I do want to share that may help people in their relationship. Go ahead. One second. I want to let Royce get in and then we'll pivot to what works. Your thoughts on any of this. Well, I always have a lot of thoughts, uh, but but I'm happy to be here in the studio with, with my man here. My this man. is this is a real privilege and treat. Um, Steve is is uh, Steve is like the pinnacle of of what troubles me, keeps me up at night mm. here in America and in the world, because there there is so much blatant corruption that we can look to and pinpoint and identify that we spend a lot of time talking about, especially in the political arena. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are very, very clear uh, violators of, of truth that, that we can identify that we spend a lot of time and energy on. But it's the subtle misuse of the truth mm-hmm. that really carries the most problems um, that, that, that really can undermine people's understanding. And, and I like Steve, and I think much of what's, I mean, at least he's willing to say God. 
<laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a positive. Yes. And, and most of what he's talking about is to try and help people um, have a better life or a better version of the life that they want. But here's where the devil is tricky. In the details, as they say. Is in the details. <laughs> and, and his concept is that all of the manifestations of his material wealth are a gift from God. He's yet to consider that any of his material manifestations, any of his material wealth is actually a ploy from Satan. And that's become the motif of many black elites and black celebrities. Run that back again. In his concept of having a vision board and write all the things down that you could possibly imagine and you could have those things. His concept is that anything material that comes to you that you want is a blessing from God, gotcha. is a gift from God. Yep. He doesn't he doesn't assume or take into account ever that material wealth or the acquisition of material wealth is actually a ploy from Satan. And and so and that is the motif of many black elites. And I think that's pretty uh, uh, Royce. Yeah. That's the most powerful thing you've said on this show ever. I'm inspired. As it by. relates. I'm inspired by. <laughs> And particularly as it relates to me, and I think as it relates to a lot of athletes and just a lot of instant millionaires, what I've seen from athletes a lot of times, and and I, I, because I recognize it about myself, when I was living very foul, but I was like, look at how God is blessing me. Mm. Look at all this money I'm making, and I did this for this person, and that for that person, and I bought my mama a house, and blah, blah. If how could any of this be true if God wasn't on my side, if I wasn't doing the right thing? And it's one of the dumbest things you can think. And and I see so many athletes fool themselves. This contract I got. How could I be doing anything wrong? God wouldn't allow it. Mm. And the point you're making is like that actually may be the devil. Yes. Working through you, in you, fooling you. Please continue. And, and many, many people have a bad formulation of Christianity. And, and I wanted to say this because while Steve is preaching the gospel, there is no um, there is no exception I make for Christians not being responsible for what's taking place in the world or our circumstance. Many people who profess a Christian faith have a poor formulation. And that's part of it. And part of that poor formulation is they don't view Satan as active in the world. Mm. They, they view God and, and Satan and the relationship completely, completely off base. But what I want to say about Stephen in closing is, is this. He has one of those get to the bag uh, mentalities. Right. And, and this has undermined black America, but America as a whole and maybe the, the most the most central way um, the, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness yes. and all these things will be added unto you. Yeah. That's a scripture that Steve in his formulation wouldn't profess to his followers because what it calls for is to have a moral clarity before you go to seek individual gain. And often the individual gain will only come if you have sought the righteousness of God. And, and so Steve is in the shiny suits and, and the, 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 the aura and the personality. It's all good. I mean, it's all fun. It's entertaining. Uh, but, but if you dig, dig deep enough into Steve's life, you'll find huge moral gaps and huge unfulfilled places. Mm. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> It almost I'm makes trying to me, hold up here for Bobby. Man. I mean, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to stand up. in here. You know. it, it, it makes up, or it makes my 
follow-up question just kind of mute or irrelevant or just stupid because where I was going with this entire conversation is, is kind of where Roy started. It's like, I sit there and say, well, at least Steve Harvey talks about God mm -hmm. and talks about a relationship with God. And he does it. He'll make references on the Family Feud, his yeah. talk shows, the stuff I see on social media. And so I, I'm so thirsty for that from any celebrity that I, I give him a pass and say, this is good. It's better than mm. the alternative. Mm -hmm. And 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 now after this conversation, I'm like, nah, this is dangerous. It's it can be just as dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that, that bothered me about it is to the audience member when they hear the trigger phrase. Now, this is for spiritual people now. Oh, this has got to be good. And they may swallow it hook, line and sinker. And they're thinking that if I don't have, I don't want God to be this, uh, you know, tooth fairy kind of deal or this genie in the bottle to where, hey, if I just ask him and if I write it down, he's bound to do it. Because that's not what God is concerned about. He's not concerned about the other gods of wealth, prosperity sometimes that we're concerned about that actually take us from him. He's not concerned about that. So, yes, yeah, sometimes you may ask and he'll say, no, Jason, because that's taking you from me. Sometimes he'll look at your vision board and say, that's cute. But I actually have something totally different for your life. Let me show you a couple of those. One uh, second. Oh, you sure. said something that sure. drove to a point that you've we've made on this show, I believe, before. But I just want to reiterate it again. You've talked about and we've talked about on the show that God is jealous. Yes. And that he wants us dependent on him. Yes. And so what happens a lot of times, I've been there. You start making so much money and getting so much at <laughs> this money got me. Yeah. And anything that I want, I can get through this accruement of financial wealth. Mm -hmm. And 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 it, it just hammers your point about, no, he wants us dependent on him. And a lot of times money or women or anything you make an idol, actually you start depending on that more than God and me seeking comfort and pleasure in food. Mm -hmm. To be seeking comfort and fulfillment through God. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's just, this. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Now, yeah. what should we oh. be doing, I think? Oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse four. It says a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Mm -hmm. And this speaks against laziness and speaks to hard work. Steve, if you want people to do better than their condition that they're in, this is saying, hey, you need to get up and go to work. You need to be active and diligent in what you're doing. Proverbs 16 and verse three, commit to the Lord whatever you do. And he will establish your plans. Take your vision board to God. God, what would you have? What's the vision that you have for my life? And he will establish your plans. I'm going to tell you, God is not concerned about all the cars, the bags, the boots. He's not concerned about all of that. He wants you better and wants you serving for his purpose. So one of the things I wanted to point out real quickly about success, he's trying to tell them about success Here's a slide that details what success really is. 
on the left, worldly success is power, prestige, possessions. That's what the world aspires to. So when you look at rap artists, when you look at celebrities, when you look at these athletes, that's what they have. They've got power, they've got prestige, they've got possessions, and that looks like success. But godly success is obedience, obedience to his word, being baptized into Christ, being involved in a local church, disciple making, Mm -hmm. being a disciple of Christ, Mm -hmm. making a disciple of Christ. That's success. That's and that's a journey. It's not just like I hand you a pamphlet and it happens. That's a journey. And if we're able to do that, praise God, Uh, overcoming the world. Daily living by the word, following the spirit, loving your neighbor, avoiding the traps of the enemy. That is what success looks like when you're able to look back at your former self and see where God has brought you from. And that now I don't necessarily struggle with what I used to, but also having the humility to know. But at any time, even on my strongest day, I'm weak enough to fall. Mm. So I must depend on God. That's success. So when we package up what Steve is saying, he's selling them this. Hey, here's a formula to be like this. When if you're trying to be spiritual, God's blessings are spiritual. Sometimes we see manifestations physically, but they're spiritual. It's almost like trying to look for the wind. You don't see the wind. You'll see the tree swaying back and forth and you'll say, well, look at the wind. No, you're looking at evidence of the wind. Mm. Uh, The tree (laughs) swaying is just the evidence. So when people see, oh, you've got this, that and the other, they say, oh, man, he's blessed. Ah, That's just evidence of blessing. You could take all the stuff away and I'm still blessed. Right. So that's where I'm, I'm looking at Steve and what he's trying to say. I appreciate him trying to motivate. But let's not get God involved in his plan. You, you said not to nitpick, but you said if you're trying to be spiritual, which I don't think is sure. a bad word, but I'm wondering if if like what people. That word isn't uh, in, in my view, and I could be wrong, that word isn't uh, specific enough. OK. And so to me, what I hear you talk is like if you want peace, if you want a purpose in your life, if you want fulfillment. Okay. This is what success looks like. Okay. And, and and have I said anything that you disagree with there? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and so it, it's and this is a small point somewhat attached to that, because when I look at your, you know, godly obedience, disciple making, overcoming the world, that's going to create a peace that's going to give you a purpose. That's going to give you a fulfillment. That's going to remove you away from depression and anxiety and all the things that haunt people and make them miserable right now. And then it's like when you start talking about worldly success and you started with the word power and prestige and possessions and, and, and all of this, I used to, I've made this point before. I don't know if it's been on this show, but we've started this trend now of telling people to rest in power. And it speaks to where the culture has moved. And it's like when we were more biblically sound, we told people to rest in peace mm. because there's some deliverance in that. Right. Power is a worldly possession and we're to rest in power. And again, mm. it's like yeah. people don't even know. It's just a subtle satanic messaging, a distancing from from God, because I would think. What most of us want is peace and purpose 
and fulfillment. Those things will, will one, it's just like, it opens your eyes to how irrelevant most of this other stuff is. I got, you know, I think I mentioned it at the top of the show and now I'm just gonna completely tell on myself, I got a $170,000 car that wants to, that starts when it wants to and when it doesn't. And I've, I sit, I feel like a fool. Like, I really can't believe I spent this kind of money paying for this car and this thing starts when it wants to. I need me a $30,000 car that starts when I want it to because if it doesn't start, I'm not even going to be that mad. Well, it's just yeah. a $30,000 nah, car. It's just a car. <laughs> really, it's just a car, period. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, because I done gone this week again, you yeah. cracked a joke without my car. <laughs> and, and, and may miss this Ball State football game because I blew a bunch of money on a prestige, and I've always driven them, but a prestige car, and it's, it's, uh, Royce, uh, jump back in. Yeah. This has been phenomenal. Well, I mean, I bring a little bit of that Catholic perspective to okay. it. And, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas is one of the, the most touted theologians, you could say, in, in, in the Catholic faith. And he said that it, it's not law and order that we want. And I caution this often to my, cons my fellow conservative uh, Americans. It's not law and order that we want. It's peace and order. And, and peace, is, peace is when man surrenders his passion to his reason and his reason to God. Mm -hmm. That's what mm -hmm. you're saying with the vision board is give, mm -hmm. give over to God and let God do. And, and then when man surrenders his p passions to his reason, his reason to God, then he can have peace. And then men who do that together can have order. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think, you know, much of our pursuit of material possessions, this radical materialism, causes a loss of sacred honor and leaves us in chaos. And, and where we think the material possessions create the order and the stability and the routine and the consistency that we're looking for, it never works. And, and that's why you see a lot of people who are ultra rich, I mean, just rich beyond belief. When you hear them talk, when you see their aura, when you see their mannerisms, you can see the angst in their body language. Yeah. Take a Elon Musk, take a Jeff Bezos, Take a, a Oprah Winfrey, mm. take a Barack Obama. I mean, any of these people who are ultra successful, who, who have uh, measured their, their meaning in life based on their, their fleshly success, they show the visible angst. And, and I always have, have picked up on that well before I was a, 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 a practicing uh, a Catholic or Christian. You're a Catholic, Royce? Yeah, I'm Catholic. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I learn new things every day. Yeah. Uh, Both sides. Huh? Both my black side and my Mexican side. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I don't. I don't know if we can do any better uh, than today's conversation. I, I, I do want to end on this note and, and have you guys chime in. I do want to say this about Steve Harvey's message. I think it's good to pray and to ask God. And some people may need to, I think we all need to, I don't wanna say some people, make sure that we're asking God, are we praying for the right things? Am I asking for the right things, God? Let me know. And maybe run about some friends or whatever, make sure mm -hmm. it is good. Ask not, are you received not because you haven't asked not? That concept I like, ask God, that, that's good. And. I do think it's good to have a vision board yeah. because it, it will, it's like I put up 
messages around my house and sure. put it on my refrigerator to remind myself of what my purpose is. When you open this refrigerator, Jason, it ain't to satisfy some foolish mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Get you some water out of here, keep some fruit in here, and, and, and just, it's good to, have, and, you know, it's like I wanna get to 240 pounds. I need to have that written down. It's just a reminder, those things, those are good concepts whether you're spiritual or not, or religious or not, those are good concepts for reaching and attaining success. I'll give Steve credit for that. Okay. Just don't wrap it up in this whole biblical thing and, and never, I don't, I, I said this, maybe I've said this on the show with you here, or I've said it privately. There, there's, I heard someone preaching about how you know if a minister has given a good sermon and it, 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 it's like, can he preach that, Vody Bauckham said this, can he take that sermon any place on the globe mm. and have it ring true and reach an audience? Mm -hmm. If you can only preach that sermon inside that edifice, mm -hmm. specifically, you're not really preaching the gospel. Yeah. And, and cause again, that the stuff in the Bible, you can drop it in, in any zip code and right. any, any place on the planet and it should connect. And so uh, I, I, I say that when Steve starts out talking about, well, this is only for spiritual people. That was the first clue like, oh, he's about to say something foul because <laughs> anything that's biblically based is for everybody. Yes. It will convert the non-believers. Sure. So don't deny them. Don't tell the non-believers, y'all don't pay no attention to this. That's an indication something stupid's about to come out of my mouth. Uh, or, or, or he's trying to create a little, a little, a little uh, space for himself not to offend the establishment that is anti-God. Mm -hmm. He's saying, hey, you anti-God folks, close your ears for a second. I'm about to go into my, my biblical beliefs, and that's kind of that's dishonest, too. Yeah, he was trying to be inclusive. Yeah, yeah. By, by being exclusive, he was trying to be inclusive. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I, overall, I still like Steve Harvey. Sure. Uh, we'll, we'll put out a post with this, some of this conversation. And I'll try to get it in front of Steve. I like I like him still. And, and, and the only thing I was saying about his message is, you know, consult a minister or someone that, you know, because there are times there's this this term. And I don't want to be technical as we're leaving, but there's a term in Bible study called exegesis. And it basically basically means you're taking out of the text. You're doing an autopsy on the scripture. But then there's another term called eisegesis, where you're putting yourself into the scripture. I don't ever want to preach a text where I am putting my thoughts into it and then telling you that's what God says. Mm. No, let me just let God speak. So are there, as you pointed out, there are scriptures that talk replete about pray to God, ask him. I just showed you one uh, vision board. Jesus says no one builds a building unless they first count the cost. Certainly you have goals, aspirations. Write them down. That's a diligence that we don't have in the world today. We have a lot of people that like to wish for stuff and just want it to fall in their lap. And it won't happen that way. So sometimes we do have to, you know what, before I buy a house, I need to budget. I need to plan this out. Make your vision board, but also keep with the understanding that whatever we do, however we plan, God is in charge. 
And, and to, to follow up on what you're saying, more from a, a social and cultural standpoint, one of the things that troubles me the most, and we discussed this a little bit yesterday, is that we can't bring any critique to each other as black men. Mm. That's one of the greatest tricks that yeah. the liberal establishment has played on us is if you say anything that's not 100 percent right. affirming of a fellow black man, you're working for the white supremacists. Oh, my God. Right. So, you know, I, I like Steve, too. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. the things he's given to comedy and the culture. And he's a he's an icon. And, 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 and I respect what he's done. This critique shouldn't be seen as a, a, right. a destruction of him or tearing him down, but hopefully an iron sharpens iron. He yeah. can see it and go, oh, okay, let me let me get even more in tune with the Christian piece if I'm going to be right. preaching that. If I'm going to say some spiritual stuff, let me get off in it. Yeah, it's the whole purpose behind Tennessee Harmony is like, I got some thoughts. I'm going to run them by people smarter than me. <laughs> That's why Anthony's here. That's why Royce is here. I told you, I graduated with a 2.3. I'm just doing the best that I can. All right, uh, play harmony, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Stop hiding in the We used to be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for downfall. God let your light shine down. What we need more than anything Tell us, cause together we're so much stronger. God, let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Harmony. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Harmony. Put all your weapons down. Love one another now. Get to me. Open up your eyes.